Continue looking then at the book of Proverbs, series we started this morning, Getting Wise About Wisdom. This morning we talked about getting wise about wisdom, and this evening we'll talk about getting wise about worship. And then in a fortnight's time, we'll go on to look at getting wise about women and getting wise about wealth. Uh, So you can do a bit of homework uh, if you're up for it for the next couple of weeks and read through Proverbs and see what you think it has to say about women and wealth. So getting wise about worship then this evening. Just to take a couple of Proverbs um, as representative of some of the themes that the book offers for us. We have 19 verse 4, wealth brings friend upon friend. But from a pauper, a bosom buddy, will distance himself. And then a couple of verses later, 19 verse 6, Many seek to win the favor of rulers, and everyone is a friend of an extravagant giver. So why are verses like this in our Bible, in our scriptures? What really do they have to say to us? Uh, That is out of the ordinary or... More than common sense, perhaps. What does it have to do with our worship to God? How we live before him? And the opinion of many of the book of Proverbs has been that it is simply a book of secular wisdom. There's nothing particular, particularly religious or sacred about it. Um, it's just like the wisdom of any other uh, culture of the time. It just deals with things that are mundane every every day. They don't really perhaps tell us much about God, about our relationship with him or about his purposes. And that's one of the reasons I think that the book of Proverbs is often overlooked because it doesn't really seem to have anything particularly uh, interesting to teach us. So what exactly is the purpose of Proverbs That's one of the questions we'll be considering tonight. I want to look at uh, three things, getting our foundation right, getting our orientation right, and getting our practice right. So getting our foundation right. Here we read in Proverbs 1, verse 4, uh, a part of the introduction to the book in, in chapter 1, verses 2 to 7, which gives a little prologue introducing uh, some of the reasons why we should uh, take time to read the book and to learn its wisdom. And in 1, verse 4, it says, For giving insight to the simple knowledge and discretion to the young. Well, who are these simple? The simple are those who are naive and uneducated. Um, The Collins English Dictionary, I can't actually remember what the definition, I think it might have been for naive, is innocent and credulous, lacking developed powers of reasoning and criticism. Uh, So the simple really, 
I would say, are the naive, those who are not educated. They don't know any better. They don't know how to make good and informed choices. Those who are young, perhaps children who have a lot to learn, or those who have never had the opportunity to learn good wisdom. So the Proverbs has a few things to say about those who are simple or naive. In 14 verse 15, uh, we're told the naive believe just about anything, but the insightful pay attention to each step. Uh, So the the naive don't know uh, what's good or bad. They don't know how to discern what is good. Um, They don't know how to work out whether something they're being told is useful or a load of rubbish. But those who are educated, those who have insight, pay careful attention to everything that they do, everything that they come across in life, and can make informed choices and decisions or evaluations about things. In 14 verse 18, the naive inherit folly. The insightful are crowned with knowledge. So, the idea is that the, the natural consequence of being uneducated or simple is that um, inevitably you will go into folly. There's nothing else ahead of you. But those who have insight, who are educated, uh, will be crowned with knowledge. In 22 verse 3, the insightful recognize evil and hide. The naive continue on to suffer the consequences. So the insightful, those who are educated, can do something about it and uh, avoid, avoid evil, but those who are naive don't recognize what's wrong and end up getting stuck in the middle of it. So the simple are not people who are stupid. They are those who are naive and uneducated. They are vulnerable to being deceived because they don't know any better. They don't know how to make good decisions or where to get good guidance. The simple are children, or at least the childlike, and they can be rescued from folly as they learn and are taught prudence. Uh, Again, the Collins Dictionary defines prudent as cautious, discreet, and sensible. The the word is also used in, in Exodus 21 and Joshua 9, where it suggests the ability to plan carefully and solve complex problems. So through uh, learning, uh, you can gather all that you need, all the skills you need uh, to face the problems of life and find solutions to them. So it is largely aimed at children. And we see that the, the poem... Introductory poem in verse 1, verse 8. And there's a long extended poem or series of poems that goes right through to the end of chapter 9. It begins with the exhortation, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And the address, my son, as wisdom is exhorted, occurs frequently throughout these first nine chapters. 
So Proverbs is presented to us as wisdom that is given by a father to his son. And a major concern of Proverbs is that that of a father instructing a son and a son being open to receive instruction. don't think I have this on the screen, but, um, no, sorry, just ignore me there. Um, So Genesis 18, sorry, I think I've got the the slides in the wrong order, maybe. So Proverbs tells us that one of the the concerns is... uh, Throughout Proverbs is that of discipline, the discipline of the son. Um, Hopefully the the son will acknowledge that discipline is a good thing and that the wise, in fact, will seek discipline and accept it and learn from it. But discipline, teaching, training is needed because, as Proverbs 22.15 says, folly is bound into the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline will drives it far from him. Now this concern in Proverbs is related to a major concern that we find uh, within the rest of the Old Testament. For example, in, in Genesis 8, verse 21, after the flood, God looks again at humanity, the condition of humanity, and he says every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. So God is recognizing that uh, the corruption of humanity through sin means that every uh, human being uh, is inclined to do evil. And as they grow older, they will become evil. uh, Or they will learn and live and do evil. So part of God's plan for Israel was to deal with this problem which is expressed in Genesis 18. God has called Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. And in chapter 18 he gives his reason for doing so. For I have entered into relationship with him in order that he will instruct his children and his succeeding family so that they will keep Yahweh's way or the Lord's way, practicing righteousness and justice in order that Yahweh will realize what he has promised him. So at the very heart of God's purpose for Israel was the the preservation of the teaching of righteousness and justice from generation to generation. So Proverbs connects with that part of God's purpose in his plan of salvation, that his uh, standards of justice and righteousness would be taught, they would be preserved, uh, so that humanity as a whole would be able to recognize them and learn from them and live by them.
So we can't really separate Proverbs from God's overall purpose for his people. Nor should we dismiss it as just being for children. 1 verse 5 says, Pay attention, you wise, and increase your learning. Let the discerning obtain guidance. So it's primarily for children, but if you're wise, you'll recognize that you've still got something to learn by reading and reflecting on the Proverbs. But perhaps the key thing in the introduction is verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So getting our foundation right depends not just on learning wisdom, but having the fear of the Lord. And it's crucial also to getting our orientation right. So I want to think then a little bit about uh, what it means to be for the fear of the Lord. The whole of the book of the Proverbs is built on the principle then of the fear of the Lord. It doesn't mean that we should be terrified of God. It is more about respect and awe. It's a response to his holiness, his righteousness, his justice and his power. And also to his grace and love. In our sinfulness we recognize our unworthiness before him, before his holiness. And so we cannot be presumptuous or arrogant, but rather humble before him. There is an element of the fearfulness of his wrath, uh, the recognition that we deserve his wrath, uh, and in that there is a sense of fear. But at the same time, we are drawn to him by his majesty, his glory and grace. We're drawn to him by his justice, and we desire to praise him and honor him in how we live. So on the one hand, there is the the recognition that we come under wrath and that we want to avoid it. But also, on the other hand, we uh, are in awe of his justice, his love and mercy, and we want to have something to do with it. Uh, So there are two sides, as it were, to the fear of Yahweh or the Lord. So wisdom begins by putting the Lord first, by making him the standard by which our life is lived and measured by making him and his honor and his purpose the most important thing in our life. But the book of Proverbs has more to say about the Lord, about his involvement in life and our relationship to him. So the wisdom of Proverbs is built on the belief that the world is created by Yahweh and that that he is active in exercising his authority, his sovereignty over the world and keeping it in control. Because of this, there is a predictability to God's order. And if we respect him and his design for life and for living, we can have security. 
It's also in that sense based on the promises that were given in Deuteronomy to Israel that if they uh, obeyed Yahweh, if they worshipped him only, uh, then they would have security, they would have prosperity and long life. Life in all its fullness. Life as God intended in the land of Israel. But as we know, in their unfaithfulness, they never uh, enjoyed the benefits of that. So the wisdom is in fact the very principle by which God designed and ordered the life of creation. We find in chapter 8 that wisdom says, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. There were no oceans. I, I was given birth when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world. I was there when he set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. When he gave the sea its boundary. When he gave so the waters could not overlap, overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was a craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. So wisdom is very much uh, connected with the fact that God has created and ordered the world with purpose. Uh, He has placed humanity within that world for a purpose and that can only be found through his wisdom. One, if we were to go back to to Genesis, uh, one of the key points about the story of creation is how God moves Uh, the world from lifelessness to life. God's purpose for earth is that it will be full of life, abundant life, and he gives humanity the responsibility uh, to make sure that it is realized in all its fullness. So Proverbs is very much concerned with life. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. It turns the wise from the snares of death. Of course, sin was a, came into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve and brought death, uh, which works against God's desire to have a living creation. Uh, so here we see that the fear of the Lord is on the side of life. It brings life, it gives life, it is interested in life. And it can turn us from death. Another proverb. I think I've got the numbers wrong there somewhere. They're not both 1923. So I'm not sure where 
I've gone wrong there. Um, so this one is 1923. I can't I remember where the other one was from. Um, but here we read, The fear of the Lord is unto life in full satisfaction he dwells, and evil will not come calling. Now, if, if we read it superficially, it might suggest that uh, the fear of the Lord means that we'll always have life and we'll never uh, have trouble or anything bad happening to us, but we need to uh, pay attention to a couple of the details. Uh, what I have translated, come calling, is visiting in the, in the AV. Um, it can have, the, the word in the Hebrew can have official overtones, the idea of being called to account or punished. And therefore, uh, Waltke in his commentary says it, is, it speaks of the Lord's punishment specifically. Evil is that which is opposed to good, the side of death of, and destruction rather than life. And so it's not simply about moral evil. Um, about doing what is wrong but anything that um, destroys life and that includes punishment uh, so the proverb is saying uh, that those who fear Yahweh um, will find life they're, they're living for life and they will not be doing anything which will require them to be held accountable for evil. So again we see uh, that fear of the Lord, that wisdom, is about good over evil, about life over death, and uh, whether we're living for good in life or evil and death. Twenty. 22 says, don't say I will compensate with evil. Wait for the Lord. He will come to aid you. Uh, so we're not uh, to give in to evil ourselves. It's recognizing in this case that the righteous, those who follow God, can in fact uh, suffer from evil. And the temptation is that when we experience evil, when somebody does something bad against us, we want to do the same thing back. But wisdom says that we wait on Yahweh. He is the one who will come to aid. Uh, he is the one who is responsible for justice. Justice belongs to God and he is committed. Or as it says elsewhere, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay So, fearing the Lord means adopting his standards. It means orienting our life to his values and his purposes, to what is good and toward life rather than evil and death. So, 18 or 8 verse 13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil lifestyle and perverse speech. 
16, verse 6 says, Through loyalty and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil may be evaded. So again, wisdom is on the side of loyalty and faithfulness and in the business of avoiding evil. Many of the Proverbs state God's preference for justice over injustice and they demonstrate whose side God is on so that we know who we are to side with and how to address injustice. Thus, for example, God hates dishonest measures and pursues justice. Honest scales and balances are from Yahweh. The weights in the bag are of his making. Or in 1525, the Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. Now, to explain some of the significance of this within the context of Israel, uh, when they were in the land, each family was to have an inheritance. The father's house had a share in the land, which they passed on from generation to generation. But... One of the threats that hung over them was that if they were unfaithful to God, there were certain offenses for which they could get the penalty of being cut off, which meant that they would lose the line of descent and the inheritance would no longer continue within their family. So this is referring to the fact that God, in his pursuit of justice, is prepared to take away from those who opposed him while at the same time he defends the boundaries, the inheritance of the widow, those who are liable to be oppressed by others. In 17 verse 15, acquitting the guilty, condemning the innocent, Yahweh detests them both. And in 22, 22 to 23, do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court for Yahweh will take up their case and plunder those who plunder them. So all these references to, to the Lord, to Yahweh, are, are showing him, us that his his great concern for justice that justice being done that we act with integrity in all our dealings the reason is that God has created everyone and he values the life of everyone so 17.5 says he who mocks the poor shows contempt for the maker whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished the poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. In every place are the eyes of Yahweh watching the evil and the good. 
And finally, Yahweh works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked, for the way of, for the day of disaster. So all these proverbs and more besides are encouraging us to make a choice. We can choose to go with life, with what is good, to live with integrity, to deal justly with others in everything that we do, or we can choose to do what is evil, which brings death and destruction, and ultimately judgment from God. So it is encouraging us to get our orientation right to fear Yahweh, to realize that he is the one who has created justice, whose purpose is justice, and that he will, on the other hand, judge those who do not agree with him and pursue his purposes. So here we're, we're seeing where God is in the book of Proverbs. When we move on then to getting the practice right, um, it's not enough simply to agree with good, with justice. We also have to live it. So 21 verse 3 says, To do what is just and right is more acceptable to Yahweh than sacrifice. So our worship is meaningless if it is not backed up by a life lived uh, in service of Yahweh, in service of the Lord and his purposes. Um, there's another verse here which uh, I, I, I haven't uh, put in. It says something like, those who do not uh, live by the law, their prayers will not be uh, heard or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. But again, uh, saying that uh, if we are not living um, by the standards of God, then what we think of as worship is meaningless. Going back to the two Proverbs we started out with. 19 verse 4, Wealth brings friend upon friend, but from a pauper, a bosom buddy will distance himself. So a simple observation that if you have money, you can have a lot of friends because they might be interested in getting something of what you have. But if you have nothing, then even those who are closest to you uh, may have, want to have nothing to do with you. And again in 19 verse 6, many seek to win the favor of rulers. People seek after those in power, those with riches. And everyone is a friend of an extravagant giver. 
But we need to put these in context to appreciate the full force of what they say. In between these two proverbs, there is another one that reads, A false witness will not evade the penalty. There is no escape for the one testifying lies. So the context here is the court where justice is to be done. And in the courtroom there is no room, no time for people who will give false testimony or false witness and pervert justice. And within the context of the law in Israel, those who did so would actually get the penalty of the offense that they were accusing uh, the other person of. So it was a serious thing. But the context uh, for Proverbs, as we said, was the teaching of children. More specifically, there is much in the book of Proverbs that shows us that it is primarily for the teaching of the children of those who will be in positions of power and authority within Israel. Wisdom is connected with the office of kingship in the Bible, with the, the responsibility that the king had for justice and judgment. And it is essential for the kings, up-and-coming kings and, their, uh, and rulers and princes, and their responsibility to learn what is just and right. So they're being told in 19 verse 4, let the danger of perverting justice um, through wealth, that wealth can pervert justice. Wealth can buy people who will stick up for you, who will testify for you. But when the poor man goes to court, who's going to plead his case? In 19 verse 6, many seek to win the favor of rulers and everyone is a friend of an extravagant giver. There is always the possibility that those who have the money and the wealth will try and bribe those responsible for justice. So much of the wisdom is, especially towards the end of the Proverbs, is concerned with justice, with righteousness and the correct uh, rule of the king. The fact that the king is to be concerned with justice for everyone. So in 31 verses 2 to 9, do not spend your strength on woman. A king is advised by his mother. Your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what the law decrees. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor. The temptation was for those in power to simply serve their own purposes. They could abuse justice to get what they wanted, to give to their friends. But the book of Proverbs aims to educate and to teach that that is not the way of the Lord. God cares about life. He cares about every detail of it. 
He cares about the people and the things that might not matter to us. He cares enough that in everything we do, we take time to consider whether we are doing it for good or for evil, whether it will promote life or it will cause damage to others. Everything that we do in life, every choice we make is an act of worship. It's determined by what we value. And we need to ask what determines the values we have. Is it the standards of God or is it our own interests that determine our values, that determine the choices we make? We might not be in the position of kings, but we are in positions where we have been given responsibility. Because Christ has called every one of us uh, to serve him and his purposes in uh, establishing his kingdom on earth. So we have a responsibility to make sure that that's what we seek to do in our lives from day to day to remember that no detail is irrelevant. So far from representing a division between the religious or apparently religious concerns of laws and the, uh, of the law and the prophets, Proverbs demonstrates that there is no distinction made between secular and spiritual and no distinction should be made in the way we live Proverbs demonstrates and confirms that true spirituality is not found in the observance of religious rituals, but in our internal attitudes to God, to the life that he has created, and to all the people around us. Spirituality is found in how we live out the responsibility, the the purposes that he has entrusted to us. We will only find true wisdom if we value the righteous way of God above all else and are committed to justice and integrity. Many seek the attention of rulers, but justice to a person comes to a person from the Lord. The Lord is the one who has made this world to be a just place that supports life in which we can enjoy fullness of life. It is only him that we can come to in the the final analysis to find true justice. If we were to turn to Sam, seventy two, it's a prayer of Solomon. 
As he prays, endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones in justice. The mountains will bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. He will endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. He will be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days the righteous will flourish. Prosperity will abound till the moon is no more. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow down before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out to the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. Let grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. Let its fruit flourish like Lebanon. Let it thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. This is a psalm that shows God's purpose for the kings. The blueprint that they should have been living up to, but none of the kings of Israel never did. We've seen a glimpse of it in Solomon as his wisdom was renowned among many people and people came to listen to him and learn about the Lord's wisdom from him. But it is ultimately Jesus who fulfills the expectations of this psalm. He is the one who is perfect in justice and righteousness. Kings will come to him. They will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. Why? For he will deliver the needy who cry out to the afflicted who have no one to help. It is within Christ Jesus that the wisdom that is taught in Proverbs is perfectly realized in his concern for all life. Those who are crushed and needy those who are afflicted or suffering from injustice. And it is only through Christ that perfect justice is established. So the book of Proverbs is not irrelevant. It's not simply a secular book, uh, but the very plans and purposes of God from the beginning of creation through Christ and to be finished in the new heaven and the new earth uh, are right through the very heart of the book and the kind of principles that it seeks to, to teach. So for us as children of the kingdom of God, 
It is essential wisdom for us to learn and to live.